This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to John Walsh for the last two hours waking you up on this rather dull Saturday, but brightening your day as usual. Particularly liked his Rosaline Linehan uh, song, if you could call it that, at about 8.20 and a lovely tribute to Norman Hunter, that great departed Leeds legend. But on this programme for and about business between now and 10 o'clock, last week on the programme, according to producer Deirdre Drummy, the word that occurred multiple times was pivoting. The word used to describe the process being undergone by so many businesses these days as they seek to adapt to dramatically changed uh, circumstances in the wake of the coronavirus. This week, I think, sorry Deirdre, we'll continue to discuss pivoting. We'll be talking to Ken Byrne, the founder and CEO of Red Sky, a Kilkenny-based company who are offering a one-stop shop for online retailers and who are fast-reacting uh, to the changes brought about by the pandemic. We'll be talking to Gabrielle Carroll of Carla Local Enterprise Office about some of the opportunities that are slowly emerging from the wreckage of the business meltdown of the last few months. And internationally recognised local brewer Seamus O'Hara joins us to tell us about Radical Drinks, his speciality drinks importation business, which is offering a channel for customers who otherwise may not be able to get out due to restrictions, which, as you know we're all confined under and we'll be talking to accountant Alan Seary about the government wage subsidy scheme and hopefully we'll have the answers to some of the questions you've been wondering about over the last number of weeks but first I'm delighted to be joined on the line by economist Jim Power. Jim good morning. Good morning John how's it going? Good. Last time we spoke, I was in a studio, normality reigned. It's a totally changed landscape that we're in, and no no sector has been hit harder than the retail sector. Already a sector under pressure, and you've been looking at that uh, for Retail Excellence Ireland over the last while. Yeah, I mean, Retail Excellence Ireland launched a uh, sort of a plan for the recovery in the retail sector, and I helped with the economic input to that. Um, I worked with Fergal Doyle there in the Arboretum in Carlow. So, um, you know, obviously, if you look at the devastation that has been imposed on the economy over the last month, uh, you know, the hospitality sector has been absolutely destroyed. You know, restaurants, hotels, pubs, um, serious problems, and the non-grocery retail sector also. Uh, construction has obviously been shut down, but at least for the construction sector, you know, once the restrictions are lifted, construction activity will recommence very, very quickly. So um, the re- retail sector very definitely has been at the cutting edge of this. Uh, and the problem, of course, uh, as you well know, uh, towns and cities around the country, the high streets have been under a lot of pressure in recent years from out-of-town developments, from online shopping, um, so it was always a struggle for many retailers, and of course then when you're hit with this sort of shock, um, it's pretty calamitous stuff. Um, and I suppose my perspective would be, in relation to all of these businesses in retail, in the hospitality sector, tourism, etc., that we need to try and ensure insofar as is possible, once the shutdown 
starts to end that as many of those businesses who were around in February are around when we reopen because we need those businesses to rebuild the economy and that's why I think the focus has got to be on making sure that as many businesses as possible survive and of course in the retail sector you know the challenge would be that you're going to see a lot more boarded up premises on our high streets in the towns and cities around the country Um, and from a social perspective and an economic perspective that is certainly something that um, I think we need to take pretty dramatic action to try and sort out yeah, and um, looking, there, there are quite a few retailers still open and on the front line and heroically uh, keeping going. But I think you're talking about the retailers, um, you know, who've had to close clothes shops, for example, gift shops, you know, electrical shops. Uh, well, not maybe electrical shops, but, you know, those kind of shops that are currently shuttered. To put it into perspective, it's a huge employer, the retail sector, about 288,000 uh, people employed directly in retail, but a huge number of those currently laid off. Well over 110,000, I think, is it? Uh, At at least 110,000 have laid off at this stage, probably a little bit more. In fact, I suspect that it could be close to 150,000. But even for those retailers who are still opening, I mean, their business volumes are down dramatically because they are having to... Um, well, people are only going in, I suppose, for essential items, so the sort of uh, discretionary spending stuff isn't happening. Uh, people are also, you know, that they're having to engage in social distancing, queuing to get into shops. So the whole uh, business model, even for those retailers who are still functioning, um, is still very, very difficult. And, and whatever way you look at it, business volumes at the end of this are going to be down very, very dramatically. And, of course, those retailers who were... Um, you know, a lot of retailers operating on very, very tight margins in a challenging environment. And um, any downturn in business is not good news, but a downturn of this magnitude is calamitous. And, and of course, the uh, I mentioned, you know, the challenge to make sure that as many of those retailers can open up as possible for the health of our high streets, but also for the people who have been laid off. I mean, it is imperative that as many of those people as possible are rehired as quickly as possible because the reality is the longer you are unemployed, the more difficult it is to become employed. So that's where we get the problem of long-term unemployment. So I think massive intervention is required by government to make sure uh, that the the retail sector and indeed many other affected sectors of the economy are given the most dramatic level of support possible. I mean, the stuff we're talking about now in relation to the retail sector, in relation relation to the tourism sector, um, the notion that we'd have been saying this sort of stuff 12 months ago, you know, would have been laughable. But we are now in an unprecedented crisis. You know, during the week, the International Monetary Fund um, said that there was a risk we were entering into the biggest global slowdown since the Great Depression in the late 20s. So that kind of puts the context on it and shows how serious the problem is. And the cost, Jim, you know, to this state, if those 110,000 jobs were lost, would be something in the region of 2.2 million a year. In your report, you've actually recommended some um, some tangible measures that you, that the government could take. One of them was the distribution of a gift card of 500 euros to all Irish households. I okay, see where you're um, coming from. David McWilliams um, suggested a month ago at the beginning of this crisis that there should be what's called helicopter money. You know, he was advocating, and this happened in Australia a few years ago, where the government basically lodged a thousand 
well, Australian dollars in the case of Australia, euro in the case of Europe, obviously. But they lodge a thousand euro into um, the bank account of every adult aged over 18, okay, to try and stimulate um, consumer spending. I have to say, I did not think that was a particularly good idea. Um, and it wasn't, you know, I didn't think it was the best use of scarce resources. And the reason for that is because, you know, the money goes into the account, it may stay there, it may not be spent in the economy. And secondly, even if even if you, you wanted to spend it, you know, there's a serious limits as to where you can spend it at the moment. So what I would be suggesting is that, you know, at the end of this, the notion of giving every household a 500 euro gift card, basically, um, funded by the state, that gift card has got to be spent in bricks and mortar shops. It cannot be spent online. Um, it cannot be spent on foreign holidays, etc. So, and it has to be spent within six months. And if it's not spent within six months, um, the balance goes back to zero, and it costs the government nothing. Okay, and if every household, uh, 1.7 million households in the country, took up this and spent it, it would a gross cost of 850 million, okay? Um, immediately, roughly 195 million of that would come back to the state in VAT because, you know, there's 23% VAT on a lot of stuff we buy in the retail sector. Um, but also, and I think very importantly, the money that's spent would remain within the local economy. You know, I go into a retailer um, in Kilkenny, I spend it in Kilkenny, the money is paid to staff in Kilkenny and it gets spent in the local economy. So it's the, the, the multiplier effect of something like that um, is very, very strong. And there's a couple of reasons why I think this is important. Um, one is to get people spending, obviously, and you know, the more people spend in the aftermath of this crisis, uh, the quicker will all of those people who have been left off be re-employed. And secondly, I think it's important for those people who have migrated to online over the last month, um, and, and we all have, I think, to some extent, but I think it is important that we migrate back to bricks and mortar once this is over. So we need to re-familiarise ourselves with um, shopping in, in physical shops. Uh, because, okay. you know, yeah, sorry, John. Sorry, Jim, we've got to leave it there, but um, a very interesting uh, report, and I would advise people to, to check it out because it, it is a huge part of our economy and it's part of the lifeblood of uh, normal uh, society that, we've, that we miss so much. Jim Power, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, You're very we'll welcome, John. You thank you very again. much. Uh, good morning. Uh, that was Jim Power, economist, talking to us about the future of retail and a very good report there from Retail Excellence Ireland. A text in... Uh, from a listener uh, saying that he thinks uh, that the government should ensure that no new retail planning is issued. There is too much retail space um, and also suggesting that perhaps shops must close, a, a regulation should be introduced that all shops must close for a 24 hour period each week. That would make their bottom line better and rents would reduce accordingly in the market. That's a subject we'll be coming back to uh, on the programme in the current weeks because retail a huge part of uh, the economy in Carlock, the Kenny and Jim uh, mentioning Fergal Doyle up in the Arboretum um, and best wishes to uh, Fergal and Barry and Rachel and everybody involved in the Arboretum. We know it's been challenging times for them over the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm joined on the line by Alan Seary, accountant. Uh, good morning, Alan. Good morning, John. How are you? 
very well um, in the current circumstances, uh, very well indeed. Just, um, Alan, we've uh, got a number of questions in, and we're talking about the wage subsidy scheme, but um, just before we get into that, uh, you're from O'Neill Foley, uh, many accountants still beavering away in the background because it's a hugely challenging time for business. What, what are you doing with businesses who are facing like a crunch, a, a cash crunch? Uh, we're in unprecedented times. Um, you know, how are accountants like you working with businesses? So what we're doing, John, is our, basically our office is closed to the public, but we are working uh, remotely from home. Um, we are assisting businesses and we'll be assisting businesses over the next weeks and months in terms of getting them back up and running. A lot of businesses, as you say, will have cash crunch, but will have an underlying uh, business that is viable and will need support um, uh, from their banks, from their key suppliers to get them back up and, and running. Um, yeah, so, like many accountants, there, be, there are a lot of schemes out there and, and grants for businesses to avail of to get that support. Yeah, uh, Alan, we're going to take a break uh, and come back with loads of questions. But first, um, just on the wage subsidy scheme, a, a big take-up on it. How long is this scheme going to operate, do you reckon? Um, well, it's scheduled to operate for 12 weeks, so hopefully that will bring us to the end of June and we'll have much more visibility then on, on, um, on how we can all return to some sort of normality then. Whether the country can sustain uh, paying beyond that 12-week period uh, is, I suppose, is a debatable issue. Uh, but as things stand, it's, it's the last for 12 weeks. And what do you think is the likelihood of an extension, or, or have there been any signals? Um, I know there were some um, announcements by Pascal Donahue during the week which are going to end, uh, come into effect towards the end, and we might return to that some other time. I don't want to get bogged down in that. But any signals given about a possible extension? And not yet, John. No, I think I think very much uh, people are focused on early May as regards the next announcements as regards um, whether the current lockdown will be continued or whether it will be eased. And obviously, if it's eased, then there will be some return to uh, business for more business being able to open and return to work, uh, that's like what we've seen in Spain and Italy. Um, so I think at, at the moment we have it. The, the, the uh, wage subsidy scheme is in place until the end of June, and um, we'll have more visibility early May as regards what the uh, the beginning of the return to normality will look like and yeah. um, if there's if there's support, further support required beyond the end of June I'm sure that's something that the government will look at Okay, um, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme Foreign About Business it's just 20 past 9 I'm joined on the line by Alan Seary accountant with O'Neill Foley and we're going to be answering some of your questions about the wage subsidy scheme uh, just after this don't go away the Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie Waterford Institute of Technology's open days are moving online. Choose from five separate events in business, engineering, health sciences, humanities, science and computing. Log on at 2pm daily from the 20th to the 24th of April and see why over 2,000 students choose WIT every year. Visit wit.ie slash virtual open day. These days, we're all looking for healthy, tasty family meals and lots of variety. The good news is that our fishermen continue to bring us the best of the catch, like fresh Irish hake and haddock. There are so many ways to enjoy them. Try delicious Thai curry with hake or mouth-watering Cajun seasoned haddock. For lots of tasty recipes and different meal ideas, visit boardbeer.ie and look out for Irish hake and haddock next time you're shopping. Fresh ideas, great meals. 
Are you a singer-songwriter with loads of tunes up your sleeve? Would you like to have one of those songs professionally recorded? How about a music video to go with that song? And a radio premiere to over 80,000 listeners? If you or someone you know fits the bill, then we have some good news. KCLR, Diceman Productions and Broderick's Recording Studio have all come together to make it happen for one lucky songwriter. Bad news, you've only two days left to do it. So hurry up, get your song on video and get it into KCLR on Facebook or email info at kclor96fm.com. But do it before this Monday. KCLR, rocking the lock-in, supporting Irish music 100%. Quick, there's just two days left. Good morning, you're listening to KCLR, uh, the bottom line on KCLR, the programme for and about business. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. And uh, as President Higgins said in that promo, this virus will pass and we'll get over it all. But in the meantime, we're all living under extraordinary circumstances. I'm talking to you on a backup phone line now this morning, having experienced a slight temporary glitch. So apologies for the drop in line quality. I'm joined on the line by Alan Seary, accountant with O'Neill Foley, and we're talking about the wage subsidy scheme. Alan, um, just to go in and look at some of the questions in relation to the wage subsidy scheme, um, there's a requirement uh, to be eligible for this scheme that companies must experience a 25% drop in uh, turnover. Um, what are the periods that we're talking about and what are the comparator periods? Is it 25% drop in turnover since the previous month before COVID lockdown? Is it 25% year on year? What are the details around that? So the details around that, John, are that the 25% is not prescribed in legislation. What Revenue have said is that uh, you can make a reasonable case to show that your turnover has uh, dropped by 25%. So for some businesses, that drop might be a comparison between, say, quarter one, 2020, and quarter two, 2020, or it might be a comparison between trading performance in uh, April and May this year with April and May last year or March and April this year with March and April last year. So there's no one set rule for this. It's, it's really what, what will be the best way to compare from a business perspective, uh, you know, that a, a drop in turnover 25% has been, um, has, has occurred. And when is it likely that that case is made? Is that made when um, people apply for it or is it in the case when revenue come to do the look back um, at the end of the scheme? Yeah, so um, when people apply for the wage subsidy, they do that at, the, at each payroll run that they put through Revenue's website. So at, at, at that juncture, they have to have a belief that their turnover will be reduced by 25%. Now, after the event, hopefully at the end of June, we'll know factually then whether that has happened or not. Even if it hasn't happened, so say for, a bit, say for example, a business has only declined by 20% in turnover, Revenue have said that if for some reason the decline in turnover was less than 25%, the business should retain documentation supporting its rationale for believing at the time it made the application that it would suffer such a decline. Um, so we, we may find that some businesses haven't dropped as much as 25% but have, have experienced still a significant drop. Um, and in those cases, the, the door still seems to be open that you could still, still be entitled to claim and retain the benefit of the wage subsidy scheme. Yeah, so it's, so it's uh, nothing actually cut and dried. It's not black and white, but I suppose... Um, Reasonable is the word to to um, kind of focus in on, really, isn't it? Reasonable and also documentation. So what you should do is have documentation on files available um, as if you, as if a revenue official was with you at the time you're making the application to show, well, listen, this is why I believe I'm, I'm, I'm going to incur 
a 25 or going to experience rather a 25 percent reduction in turnover um, so there's no one set rule um, yeah. there is guidance there which says that even if 25 percent is not it's not does not ultimately happen which hopefully you know it won't um, but if you have experienced a significant drop in turnover that a case still can be made that you're entitled to the subsidy Okay. Um, another question that's come up, Alan, is in relation to companies that are experiencing huge drops in turnover, even in excess of 25%, but they've got cash reserves. Would they be eligible um, for the scheme? They would. Um, again, Revenue have said that where, they, where an employer has significant cash reserves um, that, are, that are not required to fund debt, they're still entitled to avail of the scheme, but they would expect the employer to uh, top up the wage subsidy somewhat. Um, so, for example, if, if the wage subsidy accounted for maybe 40% of an employee's wage, that the employer might be, might be expected to come on board for another 40 to 45% of that normal wage. Uh, so the answer is yes, an employer with substantial cash reserves that are, that are not required for debt repayment can still qualify, but they would expect the employer to come to the party with a top up on the subsidy. Okay, and now um, this relates to um, an administrative aspect of it. This scheme, the wage subsidy scheme, is run on a weekly basis, um, but many people run monthly uh, payrolls. Are there, I can imagine, pitfalls with that, with people trying to reconcile weekly payments with monthly returns and so on. What are, what are their mistakes or what are things people should look out for in relation to that? Yeah, well, it should be fairly straightforward because the average, the first thing to do is ascertain what a person's net weekly pay was uh, for, average net weekly pay was for January and February. Um, so to convert that to a, month, to a monthly amount, you multiply the weekly amount by 52 and divide it by 12 to get the monthly equivalents. Um, so people who are on monthly pay runs, that's just all, that's all they need to do for, for the April pay run. Um, the one thing that's, I suppose, out there is that revenue are still in what's called their transitional phase. And what that means is that, the, that employers may get more of a subsidy for a particular employee than that, 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 that employee gets. So the revenue may be issuing, say, €410 Euro of the subsidy uh, for a particular employee who's only due 350 The revenue will want that 60 back at some stage in the future. So just, that's just one thing to watch out for. That's, um, uh, that's the, the refund that's, that's received from revenue is checked before it's dispersed uh, to an employee that, that they haven't, over, haven't received an overpayment from revenue. Okay, yeah. Now, um, what's the story, Alan, with pension contributions in relation to um, the scheme? Are they part of it? Are they separate? Or, you know, I can imagine that's another complicating factor. Yeah, pensions are complicated, all right, John. So the the first protocol is that uh, you can't deduct pension contributions from the wage subsidy amount. So if, if an employer is only paying the wage subsidy amount, uh, they can't deduct pension contribution from that. The employee has to get the wage subsidy amount. Um, after that, then, uh, to look at a person's net weekly wage, that's, that's if their pension is put through as a net weekly wage, um, they, uh, their, 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 their salary is calculated based on that pension deduction. Um, so, and the, therefore, the wage subsidy is based on that pension deduction. If an employee wants to claim a, a pension contribution at the end of the year based on their earnings, the, the, the COVID-19 wage subsidy payment will be classed as earnings. So they, they will be able to make a pension contribution against that. Yes, yeah, so I've heard um, it mentioned that some people are kind of muttering and, and people have been kind of raising eyebrows to say, like, oh, this subsidy is going to be treated as taxable income and they're kind of wary of what's coming down the, the line on that. That's not a specific question, but can you address that broad issue? 
Yeah, I think what employees need to do is they need to log into their My Account online or ring, ring the Revenue Ross helpline, PYE helpline, and ask for their uh, uh, tax credits to be changed to what's called either a week one basis if they're paid weekly or a month one basis if they're paid monthly. And that will stop them having a tax bill at the end of the year or certainly go a long way to stopping that event happening. Um, yeah, revenue won't change that automatically. The, the employees will need to do that themselves. Okay, can you just repeat that, Alan? Because that's a very important sure. piece of information. Yeah. What should people do? Yeah, so employees, not employers, because employers can't change uh, an employee's tax credit. So employees need to log on to their My Account with Revenue or apply for that process from Revenue. It's very straightforward. And on, on the Revenue website, then, they can change their own per, uh, tax credits um, that they have for a particular employment. And what they should request is that their uh, tax credits be changed to what's called a week one basis if they're paid weekly or a month one basis if they're paid monthly. Yeah, okay. So that's a very important uh, point. Um, I have a question in. A listener wants to know why a man of 72 years of age who's still working, paying tax, doesn't qualify for out-of-work allowance. Uh, They were told it's because he's getting the old age pension, but that's only around €227. So why isn't the old age pension topped up? Okay, so the COVID-19 social welfare payment, uh, which is not this wage subsidy payment, is only available for people between 18 and 66 years of, uh, 66 years of age. So he won't get the, the social welfare payment of €350 Euro per week. What he could do is empl- approach his employer to see what his employer put through the wage subsidy scheme for him in that circumstance. There's no age restriction on the, on the wage subsidy scheme, but his employer has to agree to do that. Okay, yeah. And, and so... Are employees aged over 66 eligible or, you know, is the, is the salary of that person subsidised by this scheme for the employer? Yes, there's no, the revenue confirmed that there's no age restriction on the, the wage subsidy scheme for employers. Okay. Now, uh, what about an employee who only started in March? Um, are they working in a role that, that has been there before March, but say the person who covered it in January and February has left? but a new employee started in March, the employer still has the same um, cost to keep that role in place, but um, it would appear that that new employee who started in March isn't covered. Is that correct? Is that a black and white? Uh, as things stand, John, that's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah, OK. Another one um, we've been asked is, can laid-off employees be rehired and funded under the scheme? Absolutely, they can, and the scheme is... I suppose, an incentive for employers to do just that. Okay, yeah. Now, another one, um, you know, with people being uh, so aware of the necessity to self-isolate and so on, what about staff who, who become sick or have to go into self-isolation at the beginning of the scheme or, or who've become ill? Uh, can they avail of the scheme or is there a different benefit for them? No, they can avail of the scheme. The whole um, genesis of the scheme is to, for employers to have all their staff available to return to work when this thing lifts. Uh, so yeah. people who have been pre- previously laid off or put on the pandemic social welfare payment can be rehired and put under the scheme. Okay. Um, Alan, just a, a broad one. I have come across with employers a kind of wariness about how revenue will... will um look back at this scheme and look back at decisions that may have been made now, Um, you know, we talked about the reasonable case. How would you address that issue um, with employers who who are kind of wary about how this will turn out down the line? 
Well, I can, I can understand that. That wariness is, is very understandable. And we have seen with previous um, incentive schemes, say around research and development, tax credits and capital allowances, that uh, you know, th- you know, they, they have not been a good experience for a lot of people. And people don't like being on the revenue radar. But I think you have to fight the battle that's in front of you today. And if the wage subsidy scheme allows your business to be best placed to open, reopen for business when this thing lifts, uh, employers are strongly encouraged taking it up. Yeah, so cross that bridge when, when you come to it. Um, uh, yes. I know, Alan, that Pascal Donoghue uh, announced some changes during the week to the scheme. Unfortunately, we're out of time um, this morning, but we'll come back to that if you'd be available to come on the show in the coming weeks and, and talk before the end of this current period, if that's OK. Yeah, that'd be super, John. Be delighted to. Great. OK, that's Alan Theory from O'Neill Foley going through uh, very helpfully through a lot of the issues in relation to the wage subsidy scheme. You're listening to The Bottom Line on KCLR 96 FM. It's uh, 25 to 10. Coming up, we're going to hear about Red Sky Europe, a Kilkenny-based company. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. Good morning, you're listening to The Bottom Line on Casey Laura and John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Coming up at 10 o'clock, soon on, in for Edward Hayden. And after that, Eddie Hughes will be with you at 12 with Thomas Purcell Kiss and then Shane O'Keefe taking you through the afternoon with the best uh, sports show on air at the moment with no sports on it because of the current lockdown. We're all living in vastly changed circumstances and we talked before the break about how uh, retail is changing and how a lot of retail previously just locally directed with people coming through the door is now having to move online. With me on the line is Ken Byrne from Red Sky, who are a Kilkenny-based company. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, John. How are you? Very well, and apologies for the scratchy line. Uh, Your company is basically, you know, established... not even two years ago, working on working with companies uh, to help them fulfil uh, and deliver online uh, orders. Can you tell us a bit about Red Sky? Um, well, we're based in Parkes Parkes here in Kilkenny, um, and we offer a range of international online retailers looking to grow in Europe and services such as inventory storage, order fulfilment, and delivery. We also have a Platform. So that would be our client would be North American uh, e-commerce companies. Okay, and uh, you've cha- you've pivoted to use that very popular phrase over recent weeks, and are now helping people who are in a rush to get online. Can you tell us about that work? Yeah, so found over the last number of weeks that some of our US clients themselves are facing challenges in in getting stock into us. Um, here in Ireland, and um, we we developed Red Sky Ireland out of Red Europe to uh, work with Irish companies that are to throw onto the online um, um, market here in Ireland. Hello, Ken. Hello, John. Can you hear me there? Oh, sorry, we're 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 labouring under very difficult. Uh um, audio circumstances at the moment. Sorry, Ken. Go ahead. Yes, so we, we we have pivoted it now in that we are um, uh, working with a number of Irish companies. Um, as you're aware, a lot of Irish companies now 
have had to look at the, the um, e-commerce platform as a way to sustain and maintain and grow their businesses in this current climate. Yeah, and one of, one of the things that you told me about during the work was an alliance of, of international companies like yourself who are working together to mentor companies who are seeking to get online. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, well, there's one initiative um, headed up by Niall Bodkin of the um, E-Commerce Association of Ireland uh, that we've signed up to the over 200 Irish companies that have committed to give um, uh, five hours of mentoring time to Irish companies that need some assistance in putting an e-commerce strategy together. Outside of that, we, um, and if there's any Irish companies looking for any advice, um, at this time, they can contact us directly through our website. We'd be more than happy to help in any way we can. And what kind of three steps that people need to do to get themselves organised? So people often say, like, oh, sell online, but there's a detailed process involved. There is. Um, what we found, we come from an e-commerce background, so we have experience in, in all sides of it. Um, what we generally would recommend is you need to sit down and segment a section. So you have one section would be your website and, and how you communicate with people. Um, then you need to, to, to have a look at the, the sector of how do you get products to people. Do you need to outsource? you need to work with third-party companies? And then the other element would be the marketing. How do you get your message out? And again... There's a lot of um, a lot of good Irish companies that can assist with that, um, in getting your message out there in the in the right manner that you can pull in the business. Okay. Ken. And, uh, anybody who wants to find out about your company, they can log on to RedSkyEurope.com. Correct. Okay, that's uh, uh, Ken Byrne of Red Sky. There, telling us about the services provided by his company. Hopefully I'm joined on the other line by Gabrielle Carroll uh, of Carlo Local Enterprise Board. Good morning, Gabrielle. Good morning, John. How are you? Very well, thank you. Now, you're involved with uh, the Local Enterprise Board uh, in Carlo. A number of different uh, approaches, I suppose, to business at the moment. Helping some, some businesses are very much still kind of in uncertain ground and others are are rolling up the sleeves and getting stuck in and operating away. Tell us about that. Yes, John, I suppose there's a, a couple of different uh, approaches we're getting at the moment where we're inundated uh, with uh, people calling in with various different queries and that. Uh, so I suppose there's some people who have uh, grabbed the bull by the horns and have um, delved into their cash flows and looking at what they, they need to do and along with a lot of the other speakers there from accountants and that are getting help there. Um, with particular aspects. We have offering mentoring services as well just to support people, I suppose, in terms of what their cash flow requirements um, uh, for these next 12 to 24 weeks, really, um, and what it is that that might look like. But we also have people who are, I suppose, like it's quite shocking in terms of how the how this whole situation has turned out and people some people have yet to make a move I suppose and really really take the business um, and pull it together and the I suppose key message is to act now uh, so that you know you will have a sustainable business at the end of this 
and very difficult for some people, however, and we have to acknowledge that because, you know, if you're in a, in a business that involves personal contact, you know, like a hairdressers or beauty or something like that, very difficult to, to get any kind of horizon on when you'll be returning. But um, I mentioned about opportunities emerging uh, from the wreckage of the economy over the last couple of weeks. Where do you and you guys in, in the local enterprise offices see those kind of opportunities emerging? Well, um, I suppose there's a lot of, um, as you say, there's a lot of different businesses that are, are coming into us um, with uh, their existing product and tweaking that a small bit. So in terms of hairdressers and um, all the people we badly all need at this stage, the beauticians and that, um, you know, sometimes they have a product that they're willing to sell online um, and uh, so they're looking at uh, engaging with us on what we call a trading online voucher. Um, and so they've kind of steered their their offering more towards that. Um, and in terms of businesses already there on the lookout, there's a, a particular company in Carlo VSS, um, which is really it's a ducting company, but they've uh, pivoted their business, I suppose, to look at decontamination, cleaning, and that, and which will be really important as we emerge and come back to a new normality. So that for businesses, so <clears throat> I suppose that they can look at, uh, like the businesses can reassure the customers that they've taken every step, that their premises have been cleaned out, that they have, uh, they're engaging in practices and working in a manner that gives the security to the customer as well. So, you know, there's those, Joe Brown and Carlo out near Hackettstown there is, is well known for um, uh, uh, perfume and cosmetics. Um, and, you know, and she certainly turned her hand to hand sanitizers um, and lots of different businesses like that. Um, and in the food sector, Gabrielle, some interesting things happen. We've heard about the, the initiative Fenleys in, in Callan are undertaking. I think Cool and Owl, um, that food business that we've talked to on the show, are also um, making moves in that direction. Yeah, the whole team, <clears throat> the whole team in Cool and Owl, um, there's, I suppose, two different elements that they're doing. They're hosting the neighbourhood um, food um, market uh, uh, for Carlo Town, uh, and people can order and collect there as well. But in addition, their um, their lovely food hall that they have there on Dublin Street, uh, I know they're going to be bringing those, that online very shortly as well. And additionally, then the traditional uh, farmers market that has been there, um, a stalwart of Carlo Town on a Saturday morning um, they're hoping to offer uh, some uh, um, online services as well so you just get in contact with Carlo Farmers Market online um, and they should have something coming up in the next week or so as well. Um, entrepreneurs known for the resilience but never before has it been uh, tested as much. How are you finding people bearing up under the pressure? Oh surely it's very tough and um, I suppose um I was uh, listening to a webinar yesterday as I was working away and there was, uh, you know, people looking at the graph of how people's emotions and uh, how people are are reacting and acting and the different stages that that comes at, you know, from the shock right through to, to this is the new normality and how do we move on from there. And that's, that's apparent for everybody, but it's apparent in business as well. So um, people at various stages, uh, I suppose the main thing is, uh, don't be alone in this. Uh, if you have a business, don't uh, go around with your head stuck in the sand, hoping that things are going to get better and emerge. Pick up the phone, contact us, 
Um, and get a plan together. And once you get a plan together, that takes the anxiety and the stress out of it and it takes those decisions and the stress around those decisions out of 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 uh, the whole situation because it can be quite, you know, obviously it's very stressful um, in terms of uh, if you're if you're a sole trader and your life livelihood is depending on it um, or whether you have 10 or 50 uh, employees counting on you to keep the business going. Yeah, never have the challenges been so great, but I suppose in many ways never have there been so many people available uh, to help and an openness, I think, among entrepreneurs of all levels to support each other. Absolutely, John. I'll just mention quickly, I suppose, um, our new uh, rollout of of programmes has all been online. And what you see is um, even some of my colleagues in the office were commenting on it yesterday at those um, uh, kind of Zoom calls or we do it through MS teams or whatever it happens to be um, people are coming together in, you know it might be a group of 10, 12 20 um, and talking together and it's um, striking um, how open people are about the problems, all the problems are the same before we would kind of deal with people sectorally in terms of you know these particular problems affect this particular type of business but because it's across the board um, there's a huge level of understanding, of sharing, of helping um, going on, and people are really benefiting from that. It's a different, it's a different community setting, I suppose. Absolutely, Gabrielle. Thank you very much for that, and we look forward to keeping up to date with all that's happening with the local enterprise office clients in Carlow. That's uh, Gabrielle Car- Carroll uh, from Carlow Local Enterprise Office. She's a business advisor there. Coming up. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, our internationally recognised local brewer, Seamus O'Hara. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. Yes, indeed, KCLR, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I see Laurie Grace on Twitter asking me whether we're all communicating on walkie-talkies this morning. Well, no, actually, Laurie, um, I'm communicating on my mobile phone and never have I looked at the battery with more concern because our our main line of communication went down. But like with so many businesses in COVID-19, we're improvising and keeping the show on the road. But apologies to your listeners for the reduced uh, sound quality, but uh, you won't have to worry after 10 o'clock. Sue Nunn is coming up in for Edward Hayden. Uh, she's doing the Saturday show, so that'll be a lot easier on the ears, as they say, because hopefully she's coming live from our studio. Um, I'm joined on the line by Seamus O'Hara, who is an internationally recognised brewer through his company, um, Carlo Brewing Company, who produce O'Hara's and many other uh, well-known brews. Good morning, Seamus. Uh, Good morning, John. (laughs) Yeah, a radically uh, changed business environment for you over the last number of weeks. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose, uh, yeah, Certainly, for, for the last uh, four weeks at this stage, was initially uh, social distancing coming in in the bars and restaurants, and then you know the on-trade closing down completely. So, uh, roughly half our business, I suppose, is one day lost but stopped for the moment. Um, but uh, but luckily, you know, the off-trade channel, the, the supermarkets, independent off licenses, and so on, that's still operating um, for us in domestic and similar export because you know the same issue. Uh, challenges on the export side of our business. So, uh, but overall, like about half of our business is still going. And it was then we had the, cha- the challenge of, uh, I suppose, 
you know, right-sizing the business in terms of the cost base and uh, that end of it, and, and also to be allowed to work as an essential business, you know, and, and implement various measures on site for people's yeah. health and safety and, and so on. Yeah, yeah because while people, um, mm-hmm. while people can't go to pubs anymore, people do like mm-hmm. to relax uh, responsibly, yeah. of course, with the drink, and we see many pictures yeah. of people relaxing in their gardens with a bottle of beer and so on. You, you, yeah. You'd be launching uh, Radical Drinks, which is a, a business um, mm-hmm. venture. It was in the pipeline for a while, but I suppose um, yeah. accelerated mm-hmm. by the current circumstances. Yeah, I suppose. Like, so, like, we've always distributed our, our own beers to the O'Hara's range and their cider, Falling Apple and Craigie's ranges, direct uh, to customers to, to, you know, to on-trade and off-trade. Um, and then over the last kind of year or so, we started to think it, it would make sense for us to carry some other products through our channel, um, you know, and work with partners, particularly sort of craft breweries and uh uh, you know, other businesses that we felt were like-minded and, and you know, had a synergy in terms of doing creative things with our beers and, and, and so on. So so we started to import and distribute, uh, like, a small select range of brands. Um, we've been doing that for a bit over a year. Um, some, some you know, American craft breweries, uh, some European beers like Stiegel, Estrella Galicia, uh, Wild Beer Company from the UK. Um, but, so that was, uh, you know, and then, like, a step on from that in the last few weeks with... I suppose with the imminent uh, restrictions around COVID-19, we weren't sure what businesses would stay open, you know, off-license, you know, as well as on-trade. So we decided we needed another channel to market, so we launched a, an e-store on our site at radicaldrinks.com so we could sell, you know, we can we can deliver to people's homes, basically. People can, can, can order online and we can deliver cases direct to their homes. So that was just an additional, I suppose, step we took. We had it in the back of our heads, but... Uh, you know, we just decided a few weeks ago we needed another channel uh, to market. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's kind of up and running now, probably about two yeah, weeks. Yeah, it's, it's an appropriate uh, name for the steps that you've taken and that every business has had to take. How's it going for you, James? Yeah, it's going very well so far. Uh, like, I suppose it's early days, but, you know, you have to obviously get the word out that people can, uh, you, know, you know, actually order direct now. Um, and, like, I would say, I mean, for us, it, it was to an extra route to market for us when there was the uncertainty around, but also thinking in terms of convenience for people. I mean, we're lucky that most of the local supermarkets and off-licenses and, uh, you know, like Fine Wines and, or like, uh, sorry, Wine Centre and O'Brien's and so on, you know, they all stock our beers. Uh, but if, if people are staying at home and want to have, you know, product delivered direct to their door, um, then, then they have that option now. So, uh, but look, it's received fairly well so far. And even we noticed some repeat business already. So, um, I think it's uh, it's it's, a, it's a, like it's a great addition for us. Okay, well, Seamus, best of luck with that. Uh, that's Seamus O'Hara from uh, Carlo Brewing Company talking to us about the new venture, RadicalDrinks.com, and do check it out. They've got a fine uh, range of speciality uh, craft beers available there. Unfortunately, that's about all we've got time for on the bottom line this morning. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, through the uh, difficult sound environment in which we were forced to operate. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to everybody who uh, texted in, who tweeted us, who uh, who have contacted us by email. And thanks for your questions uh, on the uh, wage subsidy scheme. Thanks to all the guests, Jim Power, Alan Seary, Ken Byrne, Gabrielle Carroll and Seamus O'Hara there. Stay tuned to uh, KCLR. Uh, soon on coming up after the news with Neve Brophy. Uh, remember, you can listen back to this programme 
on the podcast. Uh, you can follow us, follow us on Twitter and don't forget to stay uh, connected to Facebook or <laughs> connected to KCLR across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks to Deirdre E. Drummy who produced and John Walsh for running the show back at base in particularly trying circumstances. That's it for me uh, this Saturday morning. I'll talk to you again next Saturday morning. Until then, have a good weekend and enjoy the week. KCLR's Bottom Line. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie